Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Refold podcast, where we talk about everything related to language learning. My name is Clayton, also known as George Pig, and I manage the community here at Refold. Today, we have a very special guest and Refold employee, Ben. I'll be having a casual interview with him, so if you're interested in the people behind the curtain, this is the episode for you. All right. Hey, Ben, how's it going? I'm well. How are you? <laughs> Doing okay. So uh, it's good to have you on uh, the podcast once again. You were on, I think, early on in season one or season two. Uh, yeah, I think it was a couple months ago at this point. Um, I forget what we talked about, but but I've, I've been here the whole time. I've been editing every single one. So Right. So Ben is our editor, and he wears a lot of hats at Refold. So I guess this is going to be a little bit of an interview. I'm excited. So <laughs> okay. Ben, why don't you introduce yourself for those of you who, for the, for the listeners who don't really know you and all the stuff that you do, and you do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, okay. I'm Ben. I'm from Oregon. Uh, I do a lot of sound things like you're not sure. I'm not sure. Um, you didn't prepare me for this. You just said that I was going to be on the podcast. Um, let's see. I run the YouTube channel. I'm an admin in the Spanish server. I do stuff there. I think about refold a lot. I work on a lot of the various things behind the scenes. I don't really know what to talk about. It's not that interesting. I think it is interesting. I think a lot of people do not understand the team, especially people who are not highly visible. But you do make tutorials and stuff. So yeah, they should been... be at least somewhat acquainted with you. You also did the outro. Uh, yes. So how did true. you get into how did you get into language stuff? Uh, I think we were both English teachers at one point. Yeah. Um, I originally got into language stuff in high school because uh, we had to take a language and I picked German. So I was like, ah, Spanish is dumb at that point. Um, and my school offered, my school actually offered a lot of different languages. It was really cool. There was, let's see, there was French, uh, Cantonese, no, 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 Mandarin, sorry. Uh, French, Mandarin, Russian, Arabic, German, Spanish. I think that's everything. But there was a lot of different languages offered and some of the languages had multiple teachers. Like there was like three Spanish teachers. There was two French teachers. I think one for everything else. But I started with German and I did two years of German. Then I was like, hey, I really like this. This is really cool. Um, and so I stuck around. I even did, um, I took a year of Arabic in the fourth year because I had also gotten into just language and linguistics in general especially conlangs was one of my big interests. Um, constructed languages where you kind of create your own language or somebody or whatever it might be. So I was into conlangs for a couple of years. And are you still into conlangs now? I think they're interesting and cool. I haven't sat down and like actually done like taken time on them for a long time. It's been I like the idea of auxiliary languages, like helping languages. But I think they're neat, like like the art langs and stuff for people for world building. But like, yeah, that was I don't my know interest. if I would ever. Yeah, I don't know if I would ever learn one, but I could see myself learning, mm -hmm. you know, an oxlang. Yeah, I'm not interested like linguistically in oxlangs at all. Like, I think Interslavic's cool stuff like that. But um, I, I love Tokipona. I think it's really interesting. I haven't learned it. Um, I will soon, actually. 
but a little soon. I think there's somebody in the refold community who's like making some like really cool CI yeah. videos, maybe for Tokibona. He's, he's been doing he's doing 30, 20 minutes pure CI Tokibona videos. And I'm actually been I've been downloading his subtitles to analyze them because I just haven't had access to subs or like just written Tokibona anywhere. And because there's no like the like words just don't change at all. The text analysis is really, really easy. So I can just use like a spreadsheet to look at the how many words are in Tokipona? Words like head words, it's like 125. There are, I think, created um compound words that are like agreed upon by the community, but those don't really count. Like um, Yanpona, good persons, a friend. So I think so. Like there's I'm not exactly sure because I don't know the language, Speak but it. it is um I think it's really interesting as well because of its simplicity. You can show concepts like grammar or my main interest is phonology. Because the phonology is only, is very, very simple, yet there are still rules. It's always reminded me of some of the easternmost Austronesian languages, like the ones that you get in like um like Oceania, like you know, like Tuvalu and Yeah, and it was Samoan. A big part of its inspiration was uh Tokbisin, I think. Um, okay. which is a an English Creole with mm -hmm. in I don't know exactly where it's from, but Papua it's, New Guinea. Yeah. Um, and so that was a big inspiration for it in terms of simplicity and grammar structure and stuff. And so I just think it's a really cool way to also just learn about languages in general because it is such a boiled down version that it helps understand concepts that are actually there in natural languages. Yeah, and for those of you who do not know, talk, uh, Takipona is, I guess it's like an art lang. It was a thought experiment, uh, a language with very few words, very simple phonology, but the community has taken it and run with it. And some people want to turn it into an ox lang, which is where my interest in it comes, because I think it would be cool. And auxiliary, ox lang or auxiliary language is a language that is made not really to be a native language by people, but like to aid in communication between peoples or communities or like Esperanto. Whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, very cool. Maybe you should have Afro on. He's an, he's been an Esperanto. I would love while. to have Afro on actually. He's got a YouTube channel and he, in addition to refolding Spanish is an Esperantist and uh, he's quite into the grammar and stuff. That would be neat. Actually. I'm going oh. to see if I can have him on. Yeah. I'll DM him. Yeah. I've got his. Awesome. Got his I would love to have him on. We can talk about, Esperanto and his experiences and uh yeah believe it or not you can't actually refold Esperanto they have a whole bunch of translated and original media out there oh that's cool I didn't know there's original stuff <laughs> oh yeah there's heaps uh people like to write in it I don't know how good any of it is yeah. uh, I know I dabbled in Esperanto briefly and I read some original stuff and it was bad but I read bad stuff in every language yeah, I was I'm just going to say, I've, I've seen I, your I read, interests. Yeah, I read like the trash fiction, Wattpad, archive of, archive of our own kind of things. So, uh, but I'm reading a real book now. I'm reading Coraline in Spanish and it's, it's all right. Yeah. For being a real book uh, for kids. Now, in the past, you've done a lot of languages. Right now, what are you working on language wise? Just Spanish. I'm really just focused on, okay, not really that focused, arguably. Um, well, I've been pretty good this last month or so. You're um, really dedicated. I think we we had a conversation. You said that you don't actually do that much input, but you do it consistently every single day. Yeah, I don't think I do that much input. Um, Compared to like other immersion so, so, workers. Yeah, because I get, I read every day for 
probably 45 minutes on average recently. Um, I watch a couple of YouTube videos and I occasionally watch movies. I'm just not that heavy input right now. Um, oh, audiobooks. I do a ton of audiobooks. Um, but the fact, like, I do, I'm very consistent with it. Yeah, that's my superpower, I guess. Um, I was looking at my Kindle stats. I've got 110 days of reading streak and 80 weeks. Um, there hasn't been a week in 80 weeks that I haven't read. And I'm pretty sure that's when I got my Kindle. Um, I'm actually working on a video that sort of features that. I shared that with you today. Um, yes, I like that video. How to become a reader again. So yeah, and you mentioned audiobooks. You you were into audiobooks in English too, as a young person, right? I was practically raised by Jim Dale, who is the original narrator of the Harry Potter series. Um, fantastic voice, probably my favorite narrator um, out there. If you, if you want a good English audiobook, The Night Circus, narrated by Jim Dale, is oof, incredible. It's artistic. It's so good. But um, yeah, I listened to a lot of audiobooks growing up. I had a, a little iPod Nano, I think. I'm not exactly sure, but it had this little tiny screen. It was my dad's old iPod. But I didn't fill it with music. I just loaded it with audiobooks. And I would listen to them again and again and again and again. My estimate is that I've read or listen to the entire Harry Potter series at least 20 times because of audiobooks. Like, I don't think that's an understatement. It's like a lot. Um, yeah, and when you say you listen to audiobooks, we should clarify, you're big into Brando Sando, right? Now I'm into Brandon Sanderson, yes. And uh, some of his audiobooks are like 80 hours long. I just finished, um, oh, what's it called? Um, Palabras Radiantes, which was 50 hours. Uh, that took me, I think, two months. That was pretty slow because it's also just a slow series, but um, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, a few people, a couple of the refill clients, and then also Ben have convinced me that I need to drop my link subscription for an Audible subscription. I think they're onto something. I think they're right. So I, you know. as much as I don't like Amazon, like 15 bucks a month to just have a book that you can just listen to as many times as you want, to me, has always been worth like. I don't use a book a month. Like I often cancel. Currently, I don't think I have a subscription um, because I have enough books that I have a backlog. But any book of any length is just $15 is pretty good, especially if you look at a lot of print books, a short paperback book is like 15 bucks. And so like you just have this wide open space. I've heard that's because they have a pretty terrible revenue split for authors, <laughs> which is not amazing, but like, I don't know. It's so easy just to get. I feel bad, but yeah, fifteen yeah. bucks for unlimited audiobooks is not the worst thing for a software. It's a not service. unlimited. It's not unlimited. It's one per month. Yeah, you 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 get one, but there's also they have a subscription where it's like Audible Plus or something like that, where like you do have their their library of free books that you do have unlimited of. It's gotcha. sort of like Kindle Unlimited, where you pay a couple of dollars a month and you just get all of their books that are in that system. Not all of them are, um, because again, I'm pretty sure the revenue share for authors is not very fair. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. So speaking of projects, you do a lot of stuff here at Revolt. I know I sound like a broken record. You are very creative. You enjoy copywriting, writing things, making courses, anything creative. You're sort of a creative kind of guy. And I like to think so. What? I like to think so too. Outside of Refold, do you have any other projects going on that maybe you, you could talk about? 
I or think that you would like to do. Yeah, I think you're hinting at my Nahuatl project. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because uh, I've been interested in learning Nahuatl, which is one of the native um, languages to Mexico, where I am now. Um, I've been interested in learning that for a while. And part, part of the reason is because I want to get better at content creation. So I want to find like real native speakers from around the area, um, generate, create relationships with them, and then basically make content. The idea is to, re to release it on YouTube so that other people, if, if anybody else wants to also learn the language, has input and um, transcripts and things available that are authentic and real because that's one of the things for um, sort of lesser studied languages that just they sort of just lack materials. Like there's just good no choice of wording. You didn't say lesser spoken because I feel like Nawath has like 1.2 million speakers. I think it's even more than that if you count all the It may dialects. have more. There's, so I like your I like your choice of wording not to call it lesser spoken because definitely some of these European languages that people get into do have very oh, few yeah. speakers. Yeah, there's so. like some very not widely spoken languages have a lot of materials and some incredibly widely spoken languages don't have any materials. Oh yeah. Like, a lot of those regional languages in India have 80 million speakers yeah. and no material. Mm -hmm. uh, well, native speaker material, but again, a lot of it's going to be like newspapers and, and religious right. material. Like, I think it'd be so cool for that. I also want to document a process for creating ideally not too expensive content because I'm just, I'm an actual, just one person that can help learners learn interesting and cool language and then sort of something like that yeah where you can kind of break into that place where you can actually then talk to regular people and that's where like the all the content that does exist sort of can flourish right because there's plenty of things that exist in lots of languages but they're just not super beginner oriented or they're not well documented or whatever and so just learning about media production meeting really interesting people around the the city um, and also just learning a cool language at the same time it just seems like a win-win-win right um and yeah it's a completely unrelated language to anything i speak currently it's i think it's polysynthetic it's but it's it's highly synthetic at the very least um so they combine lots of pieces to make big long words um it sounds really cool it's got the tla sound which i think is just fantastic um, you know, oddly enough, I think Icelandic and Welsh also have that sound. Tla. Yeah. I think and I know right, it's in yeah. Zulu. It's in Zulu. Tla. So, yeah, I, it's in some languages that I'm aware of. But yes, it's a very cool sound. Mm -hmm. Nawak. So, I've seen a lot of these projects from the community, uh, Tagalog.com. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a great little parser that they basically built from scratch for Tagalog, which is agglutinative, so not quite as synthetic as, uh, you know, Nawak but still a lot of little sticky pieces. Um, Crush from the Cantonese server. He has some sort of project going on for uh, Quechua. Quechua, yeah. Yeah. He, so I like to see interested these. in my project too. Yeah. Well, my project hasn't been started yet, but my interest, I guess, my desired project. Um, you know, I just recently got into Dreaming Spanish. I thought I was beyond it. His advanced material is actually great for when I don't feel like native material. Awesome. And I think this, this whole CI creation... I don't know, like, it would be cool to have a platform that could support people from different communities while at the same time giving a lot of good uh, value for, like, language yeah. learners. Yeah, I would so. love for there just to be a an easy process for people that are 
proud and happy with their language to easily create things for learners, not things that are super cheap or that they don't really know what they're doing, but they can actually do helpful materials that are useful to lots of different people, um, would just be so cool. Um, and then you could go out and fund ideally like actual speakers to essentially save languages. Um, I'm not going to be any kind of grand conserve conserve conservationist or anything like that, but like, it'd be cool to at least be a part of something like that. It would be a cool platform. Uh, I know that yeah. Glossica has done something similar, not with CI, but they've got their Glossica Viva, I think they call it, where like you can translate the Glossica material, which are just sentences. It's just a sentence mm -hmm. bank, essentially. And you get paid every time someone listens to one of the sentences you trade, you like that you translate it. Mm -hmm. It's not like perfect. I don't think they actually make that much, but it's yeah. an interesting idea. Uh, so yeah, looking I, here, I feel like something oh, like this would have to just get funding from governments or something mm -hmm. that's like altruistic, just because I don't think there's a ton of actual sort of money in, in the space, but there's not a lot of yeah. money in language learning in general, I think. I think well, people tend to undervalue it, maybe outside of like teaching English. Yeah, like I like you say, I think like actual language teaching, like the success of Italki, for example, with Duolingo, like it's pretty clearly a big market. Um, it's just like it's only for certain languages, like for economically viable languages. Like like learning English can have a pretty significant economic impact for a lot of people, for sure, sort of thing. But like learning Thai as an American is purely a passion project. Yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah. Now, speaking of languages and Spanish, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Spanish journey? So do you have a dialect you're focusing on? Uh, Mexican. Mexican. And within Mexican, do yeah. you have a dialect you're focusing on? I was going sort of Norteño for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I've kind of gone away from that because the people, because I now live in Mexico City, and a lot of people don't, like it's kind of just a meme unless you actually have a full on Norteño accent, which, which I could do. I just haven't been super focused on an accent specifically. Um, I just got told that I, I use a lot of words from the South of the city, um, by somebody. And I was like, Oh, I didn't mean to. Um, but so, yeah, I guess it's kind of sort of Northern Mexico city dialect, um, like Northern tinted, like, uh, northern tinged Mexico City. Yeah, that's where like somebody who was born in Coahuila then moved to the city when they were like ten. Maybe. Gotcha. Well, oh, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed to hear that. I was I was hoping that you were still going to embrace your inner Norteño <laughs> and uh, adopt the accent. Maybe I'll go back to it. Um, I do like accents a lot. This is not your first time living in Mexico, right? You also lived up north. Yeah, for a good part of the pandemic, I was, I was technically living in um, Juarez in the, in Ciudad Juarez in the north, um, but because it was COVID, it was inside most of the time. So like it was like go to go to the restaurant, get food, go back home. Like it was not really living in Mexico. Plus, it's a terrible city, so um, would not recommend living there. Right, you had other connections, which is why you ended up there, not because you just love. Uh, Ciudad Juarez. No. I don't think anybody yeah. does. Even the people from there are just like, I don't know, I kind of just live here. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those um, 
they got that what's the, the word for it? There's a special word for those like kind of like factories that exist up in the north. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly I don't know what the word you're looking for, but it's definitely very much people are there because of the border. Right. The border right. is they manufacture fact, NAFTA stuff. Lots of stuff. I think they, they do a lot of like um the Invisalign there, I think as well. But you know how Texas has like that big straight kind of section in the kind of top leftish, and then it like has that little jot over to the left. Call the panhandle. Yeah, I guess. But like, there's that like little tiny like direct right angle to the left or to the west. That's sort of just to encompass El Paso and Juarez because of the economic sort of connection there. Gotcha. And it's it's funny. The time zones are also interesting because El Paso is not on the same time zone as a lot of Texas. But Juarez is on the same time zone as El Paso. But because uh, Mexican and U.S. time zones are different, Juarez is on a different time zone than the rest of the state of Chihuahua, which is like this weird time zone change. If you start in El Paso and you just like go directly south, or sorry, if you start in Albuquerque and you go directly south, you go through like four time zones in one day. It's really weird. No, I've heard of that actually happening in the States too. Um, when I was a kid, Indiana used to be divided on their time zones and what, what they wanted to follow, especially relating to like daylight savings time. And it depended on whether they did business with east of Indiana, so like the states to the east, or if they did business mm. west of Indiana, so Chicago area, Illinois. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that much because I'm kind of used to it as from when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah so how are, you liking, how are you liking Mexico? You're, you just got back. I've been here for like two months. No, not two months. It's been like what a month. No, it's, has it's it February. been two months? January okay. is over, my guy. Oh well, okay. In that case, how are you like in Mexico now that you're back? Um, <laughs> Even I'm though you've been back for a couple months. Yeah, it's stressful because uh, I'm. I don't. I've been staying in temporary places recently, but yeah. tomorrow morning I have my uh, meeting and signing for a new place. So I'm really excited for that. I'm excited to just build a place to stay more permanently and start to get into habits, right? Because I, I was talking to you yesterday, but like my days have been so similar for the past week because like I've just been sort of too stressed out to like do much more than work yeah. and then eat and then hang out and then go to bed. Like, so I'm really excited to have that more uh, variety in there. Um, I've been really loving the food. I've been exploring lots Any of different restaurants. So, so that's one of your hobbies outside of languages is actually cooking food. Yeah. Sort of like a foodie. I uh, love you food. You bake bread, sometimes pizzas. I don't know if you bake like cakes, though. I don't know if it's the same type of baking. I actually, for a summer, I think five years ago, I sold pies as my summer job. Oh. I would make a big old batch of five to ten pies, and I would go to... Uh, my dad's work and I would just sell them. Um, yeah. And that was really if I fun. had to sum up your hobbies, it would be language learning, uh, cooking slash baking and magic the gathering based on what I know yeah, about you. You could say, I would extend that into just tabletop games. Um, oh, but okay. it's, it's primarily games. magic. Yeah. Um, like I have an interest in chess. Um, I'm terrible. Uh, I like playing regular board games. I'm fine. Um, but magic is the one that is the big right when you used to do spanish time. night you you encourage people to do things like code names and other no we did code names that was actually really fun because there's a site called uh 
board game arena, I think. And I got, all I needed was one premium account and then you can have as many people play with you as you want. And we had a lot of just games in Spanish. Um, a lot of it's translated by fans. And so there was fan translations and we played lots of cool board games online. Um, and so if people want suggestions of things to do in your target language with friends, Board Game Arena is fantastic. And right now, aren't you playing like some single player RPGs in Spanish? Yes, you're spoiling another video though. Oh, oh, I keep spoiling things. I am yeah. so sorry. No, no, uh, it's solo RPGs. So like they're basically journaling RPGs. In essence, they are a random prompt generator hooked up to a world or a scenario or something like that that you then write about. So I use like a dictionary or language tool or even um, some italki sessions to correct and get better at writing. So again, yeah, I think, that'll be another video soon-ish. I think Bree has joined you on that. I have not taken the plunge. I don't know. I think she's just hyped about it. I don't think she's actually started. She's just hyped. Yeah. So but... yeah, you, you're, one of your hobbies is food and cooking. Have you found anything great in Mexico? Yes. Anything unexpected? I was walking home from something. I don't remember exactly what. And I was kind of hungry. I was like, what am I going to eat? And I looked next to me and there's this little Korean restaurant full of Korean people. People speaking Korean. There's a guy like just who gets up, like has his cigarette, smokes it, goes back in, just like shouting to his friend in Korean. I was like, okay, this place looks kind of legit. So I go in and the, it was fantastic. They had uh, all the little side dishes. I think it was like nine side dishes, like of just little bits. And then I got the, the bulgogi or whatever. And it was just, it was really, really good. It was like 15 bucks. I'm going back there this Sunday, actually. Um, I made a date because I just wanted, wanted to go back. It's like this time I'm going to get the, uh, oh God, what's it? It's not sake. It's the Korean version. It's the uh, most, soju? Like, it's like the, yeah, it's the most, most sold liquor in the world. Yeah. Soju. I'm going to get some soju. I'm going to get some delicious Korean food and it's going to be. Yeah. Soju is really popular in the Philippines. Soju, mm. uh, particularly the chamisur version. I really don't, I'm not actually a big drinker uh, and have not been since the <laughs> pandemic. I used to, to drink a little bit before the pandemic. Uh, we'd go to, you know, some 24 hour places and go after mm -hmm. hours because I'm a little bit of a shy guy and uh, I've not, I don't drink alone. And since I've not been going out till recently, not had a drink, but yeah, Chamisul, very popular in the Philippines for some yeah. reason. So it's interesting to me that this Korean place is really good in Mexico because I've had some Asian food in Mexico and it was some of the worst food I've oh, ever yeah. had. I have had some pretty bad noodles and had Thai. It's like, there's why is there rice in here? But yeah, yeah, it's that's why I was sort of suspicious originally. Mm -hmm. Like I went in. Also, my I think the the worst thing about Mexico, like hands down, is the fact that the, every single sushi roll has cream cheese in it. I think that's a travesty. I hate cream cheese and sushi. Yeah, you are braver than I am. Uh, with sushi in Mexico. The only time I got sick when I lived in Mexico was when I ate salad and I didn't treat the uh, the, the fruits and vegetables before I, I put them in the salad. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, 
water can certainly be interesting and it can affect things. Um, I've found that kind of getting sick once just means that you kind of just get used to it. Um, like I've been eating fresh fruit. Do you buy the little stuff. like purple dropper things for your vegetables and stuff? No, I don't. Um, okay. I've just so... been going with it and it's been fine. Oh. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of salad sandwiches, actually. It sounds really weird. I used to be a vegetarian for a long time. Uh, and it's just literally putting what you would eat in a salad on like a small like bodillo or whatever uh, of bread and having at it. And they're quite refreshing. But I think okay. that's actually what got me sick because I didn't. I was lazy and I stopped buying the little purple dropper and mm -hmm. uh, treating my vegetables. Yeah, I definitely got uh, pretty sick by having a torta on the street. Um, but that was I back love in. Tortas. Oh, they're so oh, good. They're so good. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm a big of... fan of the salchichas ones. Salchichas with the the, the oh. scripts, the rajas. They're really yeah, good. I don't love the sort of salchichas as much, but like there's in the place I was staying in December, there was a fantastic um, pork place. Like they just like slow roast just these most incredible succulent pigs every day, um, right next to this just place that had just wonderful chicken sandwiches yeah i believe it tortas are one of the best i don't know they're underappreciated too because if like you're in the states and you go for mexican food you, you know people don't think oh i want a torta right mm -hmm. so now <clears throat> beyond languages beyond food you're also a voice actor that's one of your interests right yeah i wouldn't i'm not wouldn't say i am a voice actor it's i call you a voice actor when i do support tickets when they say oh who's the voice i'm like oh that's a professional <laughs> voice actor so maybe i'm lying sure i definitely consider you one. i mean technically paid i have, to do I have it, been right? paid to do voice work so yes so you're I technically you're a pro um yeah i've been and actually it's it's more narration narration is the oh, thing that okay. i'm really interested in i i am also interested in What's... acting in general What's the difference for those of us who are not super into this stuff? So voice acting would be things like um, a TV show or an animation, uh, anime, things like that. That's like you're acting a character. Um, narration is more for a voiceover. So things like a documentary or in my case, audiobooks are what I'm really interested in. Um, it's you're not really being a character. You're giving information in a way. Um, I think there's a little more sort of like, it's like narration with a little hint of acting that's in audiobooks, which is a big reason that I enjoy certain okay. um, narrators more is because they have just more life to them. Um, and that's also why I like Jim Dale so much is because his character voices just have this whole other side to them, but you can still tell that it's like, it's one person just reading you this lovely story. Um, and... So, so now yeah, that that's you've like actually, the main difference. now that you've told me the difference, I understand. So I'm really into web fiction. So mm -hmm. like I read a lot of like Wattpad, um, some of the Reddit writing subs. I just like it. It's convenient. I've always got my tablet or my phone. Great. Um, but there's a really big problem with narrators stealing content. So they see a really cool story that's published on Reddit or something, and they don't credit the original. They don't get permission. And there's a whole bunch of these on like Spotify podcasts or YouTube. Mm. A lot of those narrations, if you ever listen to a narration, uh, there's a good chance that they stolen. Yeah. There's sort of almost like an a slow epidemic of like, especially within like smaller creators of 
not even like outright theft. It's just like not really understanding how these things should, should work. Like copyright and um, artist compensation and things like that are just sort of really touchy subjects for lots of people. But then also there's not a ton of actual like recourse or recompense for smaller people because they aren't owned by multi-million dollar record labels or whatever that have actual power of like attorney and things. And so it creates this almost culture and ability to kind of get away with stuff where it's like, what are you going to do? And so it's, it's, it is rough for sure. And, and it makes it sort of adversarial where it shouldn't be, you know, ideally yeah. narrators and authors would work together, but I mm -hmm. think a lot of authors have been burned by, you know, people narrating without their consent that they're hesitant to give consent to narrators who do go through the proper channels. Yeah. Artists as well have been burned a lot because it's pretty easy just to take an image and just use it. Um, mm -hmm. It's, there's actually a pretty big thing within magic uh, last year, the year before where the, the giant multi-million dollar company in a card that was printed used art from just a community member because the artist that they had paid had taken some art from somebody because it was inspired from their original piece. And so it like had this like weird loop where very clearly the, the small person had been stolen from right by a pretty right. large corporation, but it's just not as cut and dry because there's just so many different things that it's sort of, sad that it's harder to get compensation for work. It's a big thing within acting and voice acting as well, where because it's pretty competitive and it's like this aspirational job where like people like, oh, being an actor is a privilege. People will work for way cheaper than they should, or they will undercut other actors because they're more desperate. It's like, it just creates mm -hmm. this animosity amongst the, the people and it makes it harder to unionize or actually get compensated well, unless like the person paying is happy to pay more, even though theoretically it exists for cheaper. If they like look, the is there a voice like, actor skill the same way there's an actor skilled? Yeah, I think it's literally called the voice actors guild. Um, I think there's also SAG AFTA is also has voice acting in it. Um, but it's still especially if you're an amateur, right? It's it's hard to, to break through. It's hard to get actual money paid because like equipment is also expensive. Um, it's not easy. It's one, I did a, a course and one of the things like they, that they sort of said was just make sure not to undersell yourself. It's going to, not only is going to hurt yourself, but it's also going to hurt other, all of the other uh, narrators and voice actors in the space. One of those and, industries that could easily turn into a race to the bottom mm -hmm. when it comes to, to payment, I guess. Yeah. Cause being an English teacher was that way too, to some degree. Yeah. Um, so I know what it's like people undercutting people. Some people who are incredibly desperate for, you know, would teach $5 an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking really low stuff. Yeah. Being an English teacher was really interesting. Um, I taught on italki for a long time, honestly. Um, I think I have over 2000 lessons completed, not exactly sure. Um, and I did it full time for a while, like a, at least a year and a big part of that was because I was able to remove myself from that by having a specialty. I would focus specifically on things that most other teachers just couldn't offer. And so I was able to sort of pull myself out of that. I would often look at the community, the, the teacher community, and they'd be like, I can't get students. How do I do this? Because I talk, you basically had the habit of um, saying, okay, to like any teacher, 
Um, and then there would be that race at the bottom, like you exactly said. And I was like, I'm really glad that I'm not just a run of the mill English teacher right now because it looks terrible. It looks so right. hard having a specialty. Mm -hmm. So in my case, um, teaching pronunciation. And then also, unfortunately, I got into test prep. Um, I'm not a huge fan of mm -hmm. IELTS or anything, but a lot of students do need specific IELTS help. So I buckled down. I learned about IELTS um, and I got a little certifi certification thing from Cambridge. Oh. And uh, I did IELTS just to set myself up apart. Um, yeah. And it's not my favorite thing to teach because you're teaching a test. You're teaching test prep. You're not teaching a language. And mm -hmm. I think you specialized in pronunciation, right? Yeah, pronunciation and sounds and realizing why you don't sound like an, an American, even though. So most of my students were like upper intermediate to advanced learners. Many of them worked full time in English, but they were like, I just can't make myself understood a lot of the time or I have a really heavy accent or whatever it was. And so we'd work on kind of why that was. We dive into the American accent. We talk about flow and rhythm, we talk about sounds, lots of different little niches. Um, but I did have a couple of students who were, wanted to pass their IELTS speaking part. And most of them were pretty bad students. <laughs> I would agree. They're like, why can't I just study this away? I'm like, that's not how language works. I'm sorry. An interesting thing about students as well that I noticed over my five years of being an English teacher, the ones who book you the most are the worst. The, they're the ones who do not spend time outside of school or outside of class. Um, they tend to be wealthier individuals who can afford multiple classes and they want the language to be spoon fed. And unfortunately, as we know at Refold, you have to spend a lot of time, you know, 30 minutes a day, five days a week. is not not really going to cut it. Yeah, I've I had the number of students. I don't, I don't really get how you schedule a session while you're doing something else like the number of students that were oh, like yeah. cooking or driving or playing the playstation at the same time as like our lesson was like a surprisingly high number it's very like, interesting you mentioned driving um uh, i've taught all over but a certain demographic people in middle east and north africa are very guilty of driving while doing it and a lot of my mm -hmm. east asian students will be at a bar somewhere like a bar or they'll be sitting down having food and wanting to chat. I'm like, this is awkward, but sure. Let's go for it. I guess wanting to chat, I can get, but also like, right. uh, and again, my teaching, I price myself much lower than you. And I also yeah. did teach just conversational English, mm -hmm. which attracts a different type of demographic, but I've definitely um, had people in bars, you know, mm -hmm. just passing me around, having fun. And uh, it's a strange experience. As much as I love language, teaching language almost started to kill that passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have a lot of really great students. Um, towards the end, I was almost had just regulars, um, but it did become difficult to like focus on language afterwards um, because it just wasn't as full of passion, I guess, I think like you said. Like with refold, it's not too hard to be to finish work and like go do more language stuff because I've I've been able to do a lot of the stuff that I that I enjoy that I think is interesting, and then sort of apply those things. So it's like it's not the worst thing in the world. Sure, I don't get as much time as if I was to like be doing a completely separate job, probably, but it's not the same as like 
English teaching where you're just like, I just don't want to do any Spanish today because I'm just done. I don't want to think about acquisition. Well, or yeah, anything. carrying a conversation or leading a class can be quite draining versus sort of knowledge work, typing mm -hmm. things up, writing things, copywriting. Yeah, I think my maximum was six hours of sessions in a day. I just couldn't do more. Yeah, that's that would be my upper limit as well. Now, speaking of italki, are you currently doing anything with them as a student or as a as a worker? I've been taking a session a week. Um, I found a Mexican guy who's good at um, looking at writing and sort of talking about it. Um, just like one 30-minute session a week is all I do right now. Um, no, I've pretty much been completely removed from them. I think there's a lot of stuff that they really should do to support teachers more. Um, but it's not my, it's not my fight anymore. <laughs> and how are you liking being a student being on the other side? It's not amazing. I mostly lead, I lead our classes actually. Um, mm -hmm. I say, this is what I want to do. Just if, if something sounds weird, stop me. I don't think that enough people use, um, native speaker sessions in the right way. I think they are looking for a teacher, which is really not the right method instead you should be looking for like somebody to to act as your um your alarm bell for the language right if you say something it just sounds awkward that's where they sort of step in like because you don't quite have that filter yet to fix it yourself where they come in and say oh, that was a little awkward or that wording sounds a lot like you're from spain or whatever it is right mm -hmm. and so those sorts of things rather than trying to say today we're going to learn the present subjunctive the present subjunctive is mostly used for it's like, oh my God, no, you no, don't know Ethan, what you're talking about. Ethan is also um, doing his sort of output stuff with a teacher. And he's also mentioned that there's just a whole bunch of traditional grammar stuff that a lot of teachers have hardwired into them, um, yeah. especially monolingual teachers. Yep. I've, I've noticed that it's really hard for teachers not to mention things that are so like, sometimes I literally just make a typo. And they're like, want to focus on it. I'm like, I just spelled it wrong. It's fine. <laughs> I I've seen your spelling constantly. in English. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So my spelling yeah. is not amazing. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're doing like corrected writing. You're writing and then maybe speaking out loud. Yeah. So I've been actually doing a lot of output in the past or a lot of output practice in the past month. Um, and I've been doing reading aloud. So I just have a book that I'm reading aloud for about 10, 12 minutes a day. Um, I'm doing a little bit of chorusing every day, only about five minutes on average. I am doing some writing every day or most days as well. And then to sort of cap that all off, I do about one short session a week where I do corrected writing, where I read my writing aloud and every sort of paragraph or so we stop and we look at what can be maybe improved or what sounds a bit awkward or what is just wrong, things like that. Um, and so I get this pretty good balance of just pure output out in the world, because I live in a Spanish-speaking country now, um, as well as some actual practice to help focus on those things and improve little bits here and there. Yeah, and you mentioned reading out loud. Uh, that actually is underutilized, I think, by a lot of refolders, a lot of immersion learners. Yeah, I think it, I don't really know exactly why. I think it might come from that idea of people saying, the like sort of sub vocalizing is a problem, but if you sort of know what's going on, being able to see the words and say them, especially for a closely related language like Spanish and English, 
is really helpful because there's so many words that I just read instantly because I know, but I'm like, wait, actually, I don't say that very well, right? Whatever it is, like uh, I just saw the word, um, I don't know, demonstración, right? Like that is a cognate, but like, what if you don't have the pronunciation? Super transparent cognate. Yeah, like there's a lot of those. Um, and so being able to practice those aloud and hear them, because I also practice with my monitor in so I can hear myself live, um, I think is a really helpful thing. And I could just do it for a while, right? Because I also have high enough reading comprehension that I can also understand the story at the same time. I get to practice my flow and my rhythm. And I think it's a really useful thing that I, it's, it's also just so easy to do. Um, I actually record it. Um, so I pull up Audacity, I hit record, I start my timer and I turn on my monitor and then I just read for a bit. So there's like just no setup. Like, and does that sort of play into your, your interest in being a narrator? It's sort of like it must. practice. I think it has to be like, I'm interested in the way that words flow together and how you put sentences, how you combine sentences and, and words to make them sound natural. Right. Because if I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been in a classroom and somebody's reading aloud and it's just the most boring thing ever. And it's hard to understand, even though they're not making mistakes because it's so monotonous. And so I find it really interesting how just that vocal inflection and the way that you put your words together creates a different story, right? And that's sort of where that narration comes in. So it must be my interest in that. Um, but I do think it's a thing that a lot of people can do. I've been told when I read aloud in Filipino, I sound like a newscaster. Um, something about the prosody that I read, mm -hmm. I, I, I tend to chunk what I'm reading and it doesn't quite sound, it sounds like a newscaster. Yes, it's not natural, but it's also not unnatural. Right. Yeah. I definitely sound a bit newscastery always, but that's you a do You do issue. sound <laughs> newscastery always. Um, and I've, I've also, uh, I've gotten comments on your old outro for the podcast. Mm -hmm. Where how it cuts from you know just sort of organic speech to the sort of newscastery uh, outro. It's an outro. It's an what outro. I, hey, people just like to give feedback. Sure. Everybody has an opinion. Everyone's a critic. Do you think you'll ever be able to work uh, as like a narrator in Spanish someday? Is that like a goal of yours, or would that be something nice to have? I would love to do things in Spanish, like professionally. Um, mm -hmm. I think it'd be such a cool experience and sort of like to, to, to make it so, so to speak mm -hmm. in Spanish, it's like, especially if I could do some kind of bilingual role would be just a dream come true. Um, once I'm settled it would be in cool, it, it would be cool if you narrated the same book or the same piece in English and Spanish. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I want to do in, um, for the refill tutorials that I've been making once I, once YouTube uh, approves the, cause there's this, there's this feature where you can add two audio tracks to a video. Um, and, but you have to like, it's, it's in beta. So you have to ask for it. Um, they haven't approved it yet, but once we have that option, if they give it to give it to us, I would love to make the tutorials both in English and Spanish and not with, with like a, a robot voiceover. I think it'd be a really cool thing to have the refold channel be literally the same person recording two versions of the video. Like, I don't know. That just sounds really neat to me. <laughs> yeah, it would be cool. But I, yeah. I think that supporting our Spanish audience is something that uh, I'm a big believer mm -hmm. in. We already put um, handmade Spanish subtitles on most videos. Um, mm -hmm. 
thanks to our lovely Spanish translator, Zdena. But um, audio is not has not come yet. Yeah, but I was, maybe in the future. I was going to say that my my dream sort of role would be a bilingual part in like a TV show here in, in Mexico um, that has English and Spanish involved mm -hmm. would just be so cool. Um, I want to see you also while you're in Mexico. I want to see you learn to tango or something in Spanish. <laughs> oh God. Like now that now that you're there, I want to see you could use it, learn a skill, something social. Your yeah, social creature. I've learned to tango, to, go dancing. To, to take some dance lessons or something. I'm thinking about doing, um, I also been needing more exercise recently and this place I'm moving to has a uh, kickboxing studio right next door, basically. It's like right across the street. And so I've been trying to think about trying that out just because it would be in Spanish. It's actually good exercise and it's really, really close. Those are goals right there. Being able to actually learn something, not the language, in the language, right? Sort yeah, well, like I do all my um, research and reading about um, marketing and things like that in Spanish. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I read all my books in Spanish. You so read 30 minutes a day about certain skills for your job, right? Yeah, I have 30 minutes after lunch set aside for, um, I call it reading to learn. It sort of sounds like a learning to read, but it's a reading to learn. It's like I'm specifically focused on career growth, um, reading for about 30 minutes a day. Um, and I only during the weekdays, but I found it to be really rewarding and helpful. And the fact that it's in Spanish just means that I get free immersion time. That's awesome. That sort of means you mentioned making it to me. That means you've made it. You're able to use the skill to learn a different skill. Sure. I guess that's, that's a reasonable way to look at it. The laddering. Yeah. 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 Well, I think I'm that was terrible, a great podcast. Though. I think that we had a great podcast. We learned a lot about you, Ben. Uh, thank you for yeah. being on Probably and any parting words before we go. No. I got no. nothing. You should have prepped. Got nothing. This. Guys, um, thank you for listening and tuning in. Ben, thank you for being on. No, yeah. Then for... thank you as well for helping Ben with all the Spanish stuff. Yes. Um, she's been fantastic. But yes, I will see you tomorrow, I guess. Um, at yes. Work. And you also have to edit this podcast. Yes. So you'll be I'll seeing be it probably right now, actually. Um, and we're going to finish it. It's going to upload. I'm just going to download it and, and just edit it away because I have a busy day tomorrow. So, oh, so. thank you. For... Sorry for the extra work. No, it, it, was, it was fine. It was a pleasure. And I will see you soon. And all of you watching, have a fantastic Friday evening or whenever you're listening to this. And I will also see you around. Thanks for coming and listening to this episode of the Refold Podcast. If you're watching the live premiere, you're in luck because we have an after party over in the Refold Central Discord server right after. Come join us by using refold.link forward slash join and chat about the episode. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can find older episodes to listen to on YouTube and Spotify. Let us know what you thought by liking the video and leaving a comment below. If you have suggestions for upcoming visitors, guests, or even requests for particular topics, please feel free to reach out to me on Discord at georgepig hashtag 5413 or via email at clayton at refold.la. Thank you all for watching or listening, and I'll see you next week.